When Ivy was nine, something really exciting happened to her. So she wrote about it in her diary. But as she was writing, something even more exciting happened. Dear Diary, today my mom and my whole family went to dinner at a restaurant. On the way, there was a car on fire. It was on fire. Then two fire trucks and one police car came. Breaking news. I put a flashlight in my mouth. I turned it on and I could see light in my nostrils. Breaking news indeed. That's Ivy reading from the diary she kept when she was nine. I'm Dan Meisner, and this... This is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids. How are you doing? It is very, very nice to see you. This is a show where we go back in time to remember the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. This time, recorded live in Vancouver, we have a jealous love letter a technology-focused view of heaven, and three of the strangest movie ideas I have ever heard. This stuff is weird, it is wonderful, and like light streaming out of your nostrils, it can be a little surprising. So think about who you were when you were a kid, and stick around. We've been organizing live Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids events for more than 10 years, and sometimes it feels like we have heard every single type of childhood and teenage writing that exists. Diary entries, poems, book reports, but every once in a while, a reader comes along and brings a genre of kid writing that we've never heard before. And that is exactly what our next reader did. When Shan was 16, she went to art camp where she learned to shoot and cut film. And she also came up with ideas for movies, which she wrote down in what she calls her idea book. Live on stage in Vancouver, here's Shan reading pitches for three films. Film pitches. A boy who suffers from that phobia where a duck is watching you at all times... is picked on by bullies who decide to kill him as initiation into the frat Sigma Alpha Delta. Luckily, the boy is saved by the duck (laughs) who literally was watching him the entire time. Okay. Number two. Kind of hard to follow. Stick with me. Okay. Two good-looking people are best friends, a man and a woman. The woman always dates bisexual women who always end up falling for her man best friend. The woman never minds because she loves her best friend. But the man wants the woman to be happy. So he dates a girl interested in women in an effort to get her interested in dating again for herself and not for him. In parentheses, 
I totally dreamt this, and Drake Gyllenhaal was my best friend. All right, last one. Here we go. A girl finds a way to explain her strange habits through attributes passed on by her past lives. Specifically, that she used to be a drunk and therefore never drinks. Used to be English, and so she drove on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> Period. She names the people of her past and tells her story to a stranger who discovers her past lives to have been real, living people. The pair of them investigate to find what kills you in the past only makes you stronger in the future. <laughs> The drunk was the most recent life, followed by the English, which is why the two are affecting her life so much. Beyond that, she can't tell. Her search for her past helps her discover who she truly is, both with past lives and with not. There is no romance. <laughs> there is no romance whatsoever, only adventure and triumph and friendship. The boy who helps her find her past lives has an attribute shared with one of the past lives of her former companion. That's it, thank you. Now for any Hollywood producers out there, all three of Shan's ideas are still available to be optioned. We hear a lot of writing about dating and romance, and while young love can be exciting and fun, it can also mean grappling with strange new feelings, like romantic jealousy. When our next reader, Alex, was 16, he wrote a letter to his girlfriend, and in it, he confessed some of his own jealous feelings. First, we're going to hear that letter, and after that, a poem Alex wrote about love when he was 17. Please welcome Alex to the Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids stage. A quick heads up, Alex uses a cuss word in his letter, which we do not bleep. I can't explain the jealous feelings I get when I know that you are with him. It is a part of myself that I hate. I don't like being the jealous boyfriend, and I had never wanted to be him. Occasionally I catch myself in a lie, saying that it doesn't bother me or that I'm cool with it, but I know I'm not. When I'm with Greg and we talk about you, everything changes. He is jealous of what we have, but more importantly, he's jealous of me. <laughs> he quite enjoys spending a lot of time with you, and I must say, I don't blame him. But I went into this year knowing that it would be tough. Do I doubt that you love me? No. But I doubt whether or not the love you have for Greg is more than what it seems to you. I am constantly questioning whether or not you are being honest to yourself about the relationships you are in. I care for you so much, and I care for me equally. <laughs> I just don't know what to do anymore. It hurts even writing this, because I know that it is the truth. So, why so jealous now? Why not when I was with my ex-girlfriend for over a year? Because I love you. 
I still feel the same way about you that I did that first day I realized that I was in love with you. And now I don't know what to do. Just knowing that you were with him drives me crazy. And I'm so fucking jealous I don't even recognize myself. I have been so lucky to find someone like you to be with me and to love me, and now I want to shelter you away, not let you have contact with anyone else. <laughs> oh, God. In fear <laughs> that you might find someone better. Listen to me. I sound nothing like myself right now. Uh, I thrive off of being unsettled, but... <laughs> but... but but I don't think that my love of chaos is to account for this. The feelings I have are so bitterly passionate that even your strongest reassurance that he's no threat, etc., would never calm me. I'm more jealous than I have ever been before. Uh, more than I was of Keith. <laughs> Keith looks like a fraction of a grain of sand compared to all the planets in the solar system when compared to now. And now, now I don't know what to do. Uh, I need to do something because this is burning me up inside. Uh. The drive. A road away from you, five minutes away precisely. That is where I would hang my hat if the decision were mine to make. We could hold hands and laugh and remove the awkward tension that's between us. That ridiculous feeling, as if we can't be ourselves in honesty, would be an unclear memory. We could try to puzzle out why we did not come to be lovers the first time. <laughs> I want to talk to you. I want to drive you home and know your fears and dreams. If only even for just a blip of time. You brought me to music and made me hate loving you. You brought your lips to mine and made me love hating you. <laughs> When I realized that we were the same in every way, it was pointed and blamed and shoved away forever, it seems. And so, when I step onto the plane, you will disappear forevermore from my mind on the western shore. You will love him because no one offered you anything else. I go into myself as I look outwards for limitless solitude. Thank you. After the show, Alex called in to reflect on his letter and those feelings of teenage jealousy. I, I remember feeling so guilty and ashamed of feeling so jealous at the time. I was really anxious and really sad about how I felt. My girlfriend's spending all this time with this other guy and what's going on and what am I supposed to do and am I supposed to feel this way? And yeah, I remember feeling like things were really piled on. It, it's funny now, looking back, and obviously, as I started to read on stage, it just struck me how much I'm not that person anymore, how much I'm not that emotional teenager who just was so unsure of himself and didn't know what to do. <laughs> um, for those who might be wondering, I am happily married today. My wife and I did just celebrate our one-year anniversary, and while jealousy is not a major factor, we're really good at dealing with our feelings and communicating them to each other when we do experience jealousy. And so if I had any advice for my teenage self, I would just tell him, you know, trust what you're feeling and it's okay to feel what you're feeling, but talk to the person that you're in a relationship with. You don't have to hide who you are. You don't have to hide what you feel and just deal with it. 
um, in a healthy way. So, yeah, so there's that. Thank you so much, and uh, take care. Alex wasn't the only one at our Vancouver show who read about teenage love. Our next reader, Jasmine, shared a few entries from the diary she kept when she was 16. And many of these entries are about her first major crush on a guy named Thomas. Please welcome Jasmine to the Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids stage. A quick heads up, Jasmine uses a cuss word in her diary, which we do not bleep. If I could describe a perfect day with Thomas, if I could ask for anything more, it was all that I hoped for, all that I could pray for, all that I could have wanted, but there was a catch. Let me get to the good stuff first. We kissed on the lips twice. He kissed me. I am no longer a kiss virgin. He missed the first time. We cuddled for no lie three to four hours. He kissed my cheek, my head. I don't even know where to start. We spent the last half of our day cuddling. His hand was on my boob. Correction, his hand cupped my boob. For hours, we sat in Vancouver on a bench underneath the shade overlooking the water at Stanley Park, wrapped in his arms felt warm, a warmth that didn't leave my body until long after we said goodbye. In his arms, I felt safe. It felt right, like I never, ever wanted to leave. He missed the first time he kissed me. He kissed me, gently touching the side of my lips and pulling my face up to his. He missed me and said, I always miss. I curled... (laughs) I curled back into the comfort of his arms, Lifting my head, we kissed again. He kissed my cheek several times, feeling the scruff of his skin. Pulling my hands to his face, I could feel the slight stubble. His skin soft, my hands felt right into his like puzzle pieces. (laughs) Fuck it. (laughs) I messaged Thomas, I can't wait anymore, he likes my status, which is like saying, hi, I'm here in a really nonchalant way. So I typed him a message on my iPod, and then my iPod dies. A sign from God? Yes. (laughs) Thomas, I want a punch in the face. Father Bear needs a punch in the face. I'm glad I'm not dating Thomas. At this moment, I am furious at both Father Bear and Thomas. I just screamed into my pillow twice. First, Thomas was 50 fucking minutes late. I should have fucking left. Second, he likes somebody else that is not me and not Bram. He is really into her. He used me. He took my open heart that is like an open book and used me. I let him hold my fucking boob. so mesmerized by him and his words listening to him talk he is so intelligent I could listen to him talk for hours that is all we do when we talk most of what we talked about was him going through chemo and then (laughs) and then I included this quote from a book I was reading at the time and it says rain will wash away everything if you let it 
for Thomas. It's like I opened my, my, open my hands to catch an all I got with blisters and bruises. Boys fucking suck. Thank you. A lot of what we hear on stage at Grown Ups Who Thinks They Wrote as Kids is funny or cute or weird, but we also hear writing that deals with the more difficult parts of growing up. When Amanda was 11, she lost her father. And when Amanda was in high school, she wrote a short story imagining what it would be like to reconnect with her father in an afterlife. Please welcome Amanda to the Grown Ups Who Thinks They Wrote as Kids stage. A quick heads up, Amanda's reading references suicide. Heaven in the year 2000. I've been in the hospital for about a month now. So I've been thinking about death a lot. Well, I'm here, a 34-year-old woman about to die young. I was planning on having kids, but I guess I'm glad I didn't because I know what life is like to grow up without a parent. I felt like I'd been asleep for about a week straight when I finally woke up. I was standing there in the plain, blank place with a man standing in front of me. This place is completely white. It's not even a room, no corners, edges, doors, just whiteness. I didn't move the whole time of observation until the man said, I'm just going through your life record to see whether or not you make it into heaven. What, what, what happens if I don't, I stuttered. Would I have to go to hell? Ha, no, there's no such thing as hell. If you don't make it to heaven, you'll just die completely and eventually fade away until you are, will never again be remembered. <laughs> um, okay, I sighed and became less worried, I guess. But looks like you're okay, the strange man said. Head right through this door, please. A plain wooden door appeared, and I made my way through. An identical man came up to me on the other side to explain the basics on how heaven works by telling me all the possibilities and limits. All people have their own place called a zone. Within every zone, there are different booths where you can do different things on. The first booth is a visiting booth. You can contact anyone, even movie stars, music artists, and family members that are here, but they have to accept your request to see them. Another booth I can use is called the memory booth, where you can play any memory from your life. All you have to do is punch in the date and time you want and watch it from there. I walked up to the next one, the question booth. It answers any questions you've ever had in your life, like why something happened the way it did. Last but not least, the real world booth. Here you can watch desired destinations of Earth, but with many restrictions. You can only watch and hear things in the public. You can even watch the news and any other channel Earth has. Your zone is just so perfect that you can't even imagine it yourself. My zone is full of abstract furniture of many pastel colors. <laughs> Transparent appliances and clothes that fit. They all fit of every style I've ever wanted. 
The floor was tiled and clear, with sparkling water beneath me. Because of this, I was jumping in circles from so much excitement. Right then, I realized something was missing in my heart, which was my dad. Maybe he made it here. Maybe I can see him. I went to the visiting booth and sat down. I, I requested to see my father. An instant reply came, and he told me he would be here shortly. I thought to myself, he's safe. A few minutes passed, and he arrived. He looked the same as when I last remember him. We both sat on the tiled floor and just stared at each other. Why did you do it, Dad? Was it worth it? My dad had committed suicide when I was a child. And it left me with so many unanswered questions. No, it wasn't, he replied. It wasn't worth it. I wish I could have taken care of you and guided you through life like a real father. But by the time I decided I really wanted to live, it was too late. Dad, I just wished you were there. And I started to cry. But you're here now. My dad and I talked for many hours. We didn't just talk about life. We talked about everything. Well, heaven is great and all, but it's just not the same as real life. There's a purpose for you in life. I thought that the purpose for life was training for the afterlife, but the real world is where you are really needed. I guess I shouldn't be complaining because this is a happy ending to my life, a very happy one. Thank you. It was very difficult dealing with the loss of a father. No way is easy. However, this way is strangely complicated because there are no concrete answers and we're left hanging. There are also a lot of stigmas that are attached to the whole family. So rather than talk about it, I remained silent, held it in, and burned out. Later on in life, I stumbled upon a beautiful story from another woman whose dad passed the exact way mine did. She studied the complicated grieving process, shared her story in this way, and after reading this, I finally fully accepted suicide. I wanted to share my story because it is much more common than many grieving from this thing. We don't talk about it because it gets dark, and it's often misunderstood. I just wanted to help people come to terms like I did. Some kids name their diaries. Very famously, Anne Frank named her diary Kitty. And our next reader, Tara, she gave her diaries names as well. At her Vancouver show, she read two entries from the diary that she named Melissa. The first entry is about her cat named Phantom. And the second entry is about her ambitions in life. Please welcome Tara to our stage. Friday, October the 23rd, 1992. Dear Melissa, something awful has happened. Phantom has been kidnapped! I know it's 
Bev, she's a fraud and a scandal and a thief and a lawyer. Liar. <laughs> it happened on Wednesday this week. Two days ago, I will find her. She didn't have her shots yet. Uh, if I don't find her, we will get another one. Ew, I will name her Phantom also. It will, <laughs> it will be at the SPCA. It has to have the same birthday and a girl. Love, Tara Kimberly Torm. <laughs> Sunday, November the 29th, 1992. First Advent. Dear Melissa, Someday I will write a great book with all of my stories and family trees and poems and pictures and letters and diary entries. My title for the would be simple, The Life of Territorium Contents. Book one, stories, poems. Book two, family trees, pictures. Book three, letters. Book four, diary entries. It will be the greatest book ever written. I will show the world that I am the best. I will win money and awards for my work. I will be an English teacher, and during the summer vacation, I will write my book, and I will be the best teacher that I can be. I will get my articles back from Montreal. I will be victorious. I will be the best. I will get straight A's. I will lose 30 pounds from me. I will read all great novels ever written. I will make many friends. I will have the biggest library owning all the great novels. I will be world famous. I have to go now. <laughs> Love, Tartor. Thank you. Ambitious, ladies and gentlemen. Also, uh, cats everywhere, you're on notice. You are replaceable. <laughs> That is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Our show was recorded live at the Rio Theater in Vancouver and produced by Jenna Meisner. Olivia Nashmi is our associate producer. Our music is by Pottington Bear and Lullatone. And our closing theme is Oh Dear Diary by Sloan. Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids is supported directly by listeners like you, the kinds of people who make it all the way to the end of the podcast. So if you like this show and you want to help us keep making it, consider becoming a patron. Just visit our website, grownups.fm, and click the link that says support the show. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening.